Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Before we begin, if you like what you hear on Mile High Report Radio Podcast, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and go ahead and click subscribe wherever you get your podcast. You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now, it's time to get to work. So we are just a couple weeks away from talking about practice, and we will talk about practice with training camp uh, upon us, or close to being upon us. So we're actually real football. Yeah, well, real football practice i guess it's you know what was, was it a few years ago i remember we were talking about things and i say oh we're finally talking about football and you would always say no this is just practice we're just we're, just, we're talking about practice is alan iverson here did he come in i'm just checking behind me i think the difference is, is we're actually excited about practice now because yeah. of Rick fangio and where this team is heading i think you're i think you're absolutely right i think that when we get to it there will be some excitement behind it but until then, there are still some off-season things that we get to talk about and some, some things that we get to do. And there's actually some interesting news that came out recently uh, regarding the Hall of Fame. And I think it's a fun topic to talk about because the Denver Broncos are so underrepresented in the Hall of Fame. And this could be the opportunity for some to get in. So, um, Ian, I'm going to have you explain because I, don't, I think it's probably better if you explain it. Uh, what exactly it is, it is that the Hall of Fame could be doing so that so that anybody who maybe missed it can kind of have an understanding of what's going on. So on Monday, 
the Pro Football Hall of Fame president and CEO, David Baker, did an interview with Sirius XM at NFL Radio. And in this interview, he said that the Hall of Fame class for 2020 is tentatively expected to expand to 20 inductees. So how that would break down is it would be your typical five modern era finalists or five modern era inductees. It would expand to 10 seniors, three contributors and two coaches. So the thought behind all that, it's obviously in honor of the 100th anniversary of the National Football League. But Andrew Mason with the Denver Broncos has been pushing for this for years because of the backlog in the seniors nominees and great players. Yeah. I mean, some he of the was the best, yeah. some of the best to ever play in the national football league who are just caught up in that backlog. And the best way to do it is expand it from two or one, depending on the year to 10. And that should alleviate the backlog. And I think in terms of for Broncos country and the Denver Broncos, it's one name in particular. Randy, Randy Gratishar. It's, I mean, it's time. It really is time. And so I think you're right. I think that the, the player this helps the most is probably Gratishar uh, as far as Broncos country is concerned because he's finally going to get his due. I think Champ Bailey going into the Hall of Fame opens things up a little bit for Broncos defense. But if you look at Hall of Famers from the Denver Broncos and and somebody tells you, you know, Champ Bailey is the first defensive player for the Denver Broncos to go into the Hall of Fame, I, that just blows me away, right? And I think it blows away a lot of people who, uh, you know, and I'm not talking about the guys that played for a couple of years and then, and then went in. Like, you know, you've, you've got people who um, went in um, – I guess like your Brian Dawkins, for example, and we'll talk a little bit more about him. He's he, to me, he's never going to really be a Denver Bronco. And I suppose you could claim him if you want to, but n- not today. So guys that played predominantly for the Denver Broncos for their entire career, who are looked at as Denver Broncos, Champ Bailey is your first defensive player ever to get in. That's, that's crazy. And so this is an opportunity for a Randy Gratishar to finally get his due and finally make the hall of fame. And I know that there's going to be the argument for, but also Louie Wright. And that was the first thing that you said when I mentioned this to you. And my retort to that is, we already know how the selection committee feels about the Broncos, whether it's intentional or not. There's no way two Broncos are going to take up those spots of 10 it's just it's not going to happen well how else are you going to get in five chiefs that never won anything five cowboys that never won anything and, and three cardinals that never even went to the playoffs well i, I mean to be fair it, it's five chief it would be five chiefs and five vikings right i apologize that's right because you got to have the chiefs of the nfc in there as well we've never done anything but look at all our hall of famers i mean think about it and we brought this up on one of the most recent podcasts Look at all the Hall of Famers that that team from the 1960s had from the Kansas City Chiefs. They won one Super Bowl. And look at all the Hall of Famers. 
look at how it would change the com- the complete trajectory of the Denver Broncos if that team doesn't crap down its leg on offense in New Orleans against the Cowboys in Super Bowl twelve. The yeah, the trajectory is definitely different, right? It looks it looks way different, and you do have we're not making a push for Randy Gratishar. Instead, we're making a push for maybe a Rick Upchurch. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you could probably go a little further down the list of guys who might be Hall of Famers, but are definitely Broncos Ring of Famers. So there's there's definitely that. And it's not just Rick Upchurch. It, it's players who I think would get even more attention for how, as good as they were. Billy Thompson, Rich Jackson, yep. Tombstone. Lyle Alzado. It's an interesting person to put on your list. You, I'm just saying, it. I agree with you. You know how I feel about it, but it's an interesting person to put on that list. And then offensively, Riley Odoms, which is fascinating because he can't even get into the Broncos' ring of fame. Yeah, it it really does change the entire complexion of the the look of the Broncos when it comes to those kinds of individual players and individual honors, opening those things up. So it, we're we're kind of back to that what if conversation we had previously, um, but I think it's more so. Well, now what if Gratishar does get in, right? What what if he's on that list? And then I also think with five modern nominees. You got your five moderns, right? And then you've got your ten senior committee. Gradishar is a senior committee nominee. Steve Atwater is the is really the guy who should be going in as a modern nominee for the Denver Broncos. And I, I guess the question becomes, is this the year? Like is this is with the expanded class, if they're do you lose one of those guys? Does Atwater lose out if they put Gradishar in, or do they not even come together? You know what I'm saying? I don't think the two are correlated because I think right now the wave is riding towards the smiling assassin getting into the hall of fame because he was, I believe in the second to last vote. Okay. And I, I have to go back and look at it, but I'm pretty sure he was in the second to last vote in terms of the, the finalist nominees. So there's three votes and had he made it into that last that last group, it's interesting to see how it would have played out. But I think the tide is definitely in favor of Steve Atwater. And I and I think it I think 2020 could be the year for Steve Atwater and Randy Gratishar. And then we're talking about three Broncos defenders being inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But in terms of what it means going forward, I think it opens the door for Louis Wright. I think it opens the door for Carl Mecklenburg, who is now a seniors nominee so what this backlog is going to do is it's going to it's going to shrink in it a little bit and you're going to allow to you're going to focus on other players who should be in that wouldn't have gotten the attention had that backlog not been right you know had it not gotten an enema so to speak (laughs) with these 10 seniors i i wonder though and and maybe i'm Maybe I'm just jaded, but is the is the number high enough? So if you if you think about it, you have 20, 20 nominees. Well, five of those are are modern day regular vote. They're you know just exactly how they've always done it. The other five are contributors and coaches, right? So 
Now you've only really got 10 players, all very deserving from the, that would be voted in by the senior committee. Is 10 enough? That's a, that's I think where where the 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 issue is going to come in is can you really unjam this backlog with only 10 players from the senior committee getting in? And that that is a legitimate question. Is it just a temporary fix, or is this going to be something that they do more often? Because it really is frustrating to see the number of players that you know are Hall of Fame players that had Hall of Fame careers, that had Hall of Fame numbers, Broncos or otherwise. You could you could probably find guys on other teams that I don't care about that also have Hall of Fame players that should be in that are not. Is 10 enough? I think that's, that's really going to have to be the question here. When you look at the amount of seniors nominees or seniors inductees that you would get on a normal basis, every other year it, it flips between one senior and two contributors. So the next year it goes to two seniors and one contributor. At the most over the course of a five-year span, I'm not good at math, but you're going to get, let's say it, it, in the first year it's two seniors, the next year it's one, the next year it's two, the next year it's one. We're up to six, I think. So at the most, it's going to be what eight or nine? I think so. Over the over the course of a five-year span. Yeah. So you just you just lessened the backlog by five years. That's a really good way to look at that. And and those of you who t- tuned in to the Mile High Report Radio podcast for a little math, lucky you. That was fun. And as Chevy Chase so eloquently said, as his portrayal as Gerald Ford. I was told there would be no math, so it might be off by a couple. I don't know. I'm a writer. I'm not a, a math engineer. No, the, I think the, what what you've done is answer that question as far as is 10 enough. You're right. That is a that is a five-year – yeah, that's about a five-year backlog that frees up other guys. I guess my, my question is will it be something that they end up having to do again or can they find a way to – expand things so that you don't get another backlog because it almost feels like they've it almost feels like they're they're doing a temporary fix on a problem that is just gonna happen it's just gonna happen again 20 years from now right 20 years from now or or 25 years from now you're gonna have the same backlog unless they go back and they do something similar again so is this something that they're gonna choose to do every 10 years like every decade they do a a small little adjustment or every 25 years they do a big you know 10 person senior committee vote that is is that the intention here moving forward i think that's something that they really need to ponder i think the model that the pro football hall of fame and the pro football writers association of america need to look at is pro baseball the pro baseball hall of fame does it right the way it nominates its its hall of fame inductees there isn't a max you can vote however many players in that you want to vote as long as it meets a threshold of votes as long as it's a percentage there isn't a maximum amount of players who can get in yeah i i I do think and I, i think that as a you know as a a lifelong baseball fan there are flaws in the in the 
you know, in baseball's Hall of Fame and the way that they elect people to get in, but they're not as as numerous. And I, I you know, you you kind of can err in two different directions. Like I think if you look at, I had a discussion with a, a friend of mine once about the Hockey Hall of Fame and how he was upset because he was like, you only need to score a hundred points to get into the Hockey Hall of Fame, and he was sort of being facetious and and using hyperbole. But you don't want to just be all inclusive, right? But you don't want to be so exclusive that it also tarnishes your museum and makes it seem as if, uh, you know, if you're not a part of a certain club, you can't get in. Or if you played for a certain team, you can't get in. And and that's the that's where the Pro Football Hall of Fame is. The Pro Football Hall of Fame is so to the extreme of exclusivity that it, it tarnishes things. It makes it so that uh, you show up at this place and it's cool, it's neat, but they're missing guys. You, you can't be missing guys. Then it's not real. The two things that I really like about the Baseball Hall of Fame and the way that it's the way they induct the players into the Hall of Fame is that it's not a member of each city who represents a team and that's the only person who gets to vote on it or or present that individual. To me, that is one of the most antiquated and dumb ways to select a Hall of Fame player. Because at that point, it's not about the Hall of Fame. It's about the it's about the 48 people in that room who think that they have the special ability to nominate a Hall of Famer or induct a Hall of Famer. It's about Open their PowerPoint. It <laughs> Open it up. Be like baseball. Have a certain criteria that you have to meet to be someone who votes on who gets into the Hall of Fame. And then the other thing that, that, that baseball does finally now at least in some aspects for the media, the writers or or whoever it is, uh, analysts, play-by-play guys, right. is that they're more open with their ballot. You know how people vote. That's the two things that the Pro Football Hall of Fame and the Pro Football Writers need to do. I'm so sick and tired of it just being 48 people in a room because at that point, it's not about the people who are getting into the Hall of Fame. It's about those 48 people. Right, and I, th- and I think ha- that's that's important. And you have no idea how those individuals are going to feel about a, a, a certain individual. You open it up, it goes away. You're not going to have these grudges that you know have been held over the course of 50 years from as someone who was in the media for a very long time. They are very jaded. And if you don't give them an interview or you don't do something that rubs them the wrong way, they will hold it against you like a, a middle school student. Yeah, it's like being in the room with a bunch of seventh graders. That you know, they, they can't let anything go and everything is everything is an insult. And if if you cross them, then they won't it's almost impossible to win them over. And it's it's difficult because you know, we as Bronco fans always struggle with this because it has been such an issue, the underrepresentation of the Denver Broncos. I, I still, to this day, I'm, I'm flabbergasted that, and nothing against John Elway, he's uh, you know surefire Hall of Famer. John Elway never should have been the first Denver Bronco to be in the Hall of Fame. It, it just is insane to me that that was allowed to happen. And then once he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, that should have been the moment that the floodgates opened. It was like, okay, they've got their greatest player in the Hall of Fame. Now let's get everybody else who needs to be in in. But that's not how it works. It's it's like being on a debate team. And 
the guy who makes the best debate wins and gets his guy into the Hall of Fame, and then the other guy is, you know, the Denver Broncos presenter. And I'm not going to use names here because I don't want to be mean. It, to get back to the original point, though, it's just I, I think it, it gives you it finally gives you hope. You can see an end to what so many Broncos fans have been clamoring for for decades. And that's Randy Gradishar getting inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I mean, because when you mention the Denver Broncos and the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Randy Gradishar is always what follows. Always. It is. It, it is. It absolutely is. So I'm going to ask you one more question about this, and then we can be done with it. And I already know your answer, and somebody once said, you know, never ask a question you don't already know the answer to. And I just want to hear you say it one more time. Um, does something like this tarnish a guy, a guy's legacy? If if you're on the senior committee, uh, or if you're selected by the senior committee for this ten person, uh, these ten guys are going to get in. Does it tarnish it at all that you didn't get in on the regular vote or on sort of the way that it's always been done? But now that you're getting in on this expanded class, and so maybe it looks like you didn't really deserve it or you deserved it, but you're not as good. Do you think that it makes it look not as good in comparison to other hall of famers? Hell effing. No. The only people who say that are going to be the the fans of the teams who already have too many hall of famers to begin with, namely the chiefs and the Vikings. Yeah, the teams that have more than they should, right? More than they should. So, all right, I just wanted to to make sure that we got that out there, that it was clear. Uh, and, and now we're going to... Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Let's switch gears a little bit because there is another piece of news in Broncos country, uh, and that is something that we talked about, gosh, how long ago did we talk about? A few weeks ago now, it was a while back. You know, this is, it's June now, July. Is it July? Oh, my gosh, it's July, people. Um must have been May when we started talking about the Broncos top 100 and uh, fans have been voting Broncos historian Jim Sacamano has been voting or he and Andrew Mason have been conversing I guess is that the way to say it they've been talking about it and the Broncos released the uh, the Broncos top 100 players in the history of their team and and so let's talk about that let's see where we're at with that there are three names right off the bat I think have no business being on this list. I knew you were going to go there first. <laughs> the first one is a guy who is known as Mr. Raider. Seriously, there's a guy known as Mr. Raider on the Broncos' top 100 list. I love Mace. I love Sacco. How in God's green earth do you have Mr. Raider on the Broncos top 100? The other two. Well, hang on. That- Let's make sure everybody okay. knows. Mr. Raider is Willie Brown. 
Okay, Willie Brown Correct. played for the Broncos from 1963 to 1966. The Broncos drafted him. Uh, then he went on to become, as Ian so eloquently called him, Mr. Raider. I'm surprised there wasn't any expl- expletives in there. So nice job on you. Re- well done. You didn't swear. That was very good. It took a lot. It did. I could tell. The other two are ones that basically everyone listening agrees with. John Lynch and Brian Dawkins. Why in the hell is Brian Dawkins on this list? Because he played it. Is he he's in the Hall of Fame? He's in the Hall of Fame. I think that's it. He played for the Broncos for a couple of years. He was good, right? I think that I think you would agree that he was good. Wasn't great. It was the backside of his. He was on the back nine, and he was really probably heading into the 19th hole. For those of you who don't know golf terms, that means he was done. He was getting ready to go buy some drinks. But he played Same with well. John Lynch. Yeah, but but they but. You know, he played well, and and the fans liked him okay. And the same thing with John Lynch. He was on the backside of his career, and he did some good things in the community, and the fans liked him, and so he goes on the list. Do I agree with it? No. Do I I consider Brian Dawkins and John Lynch Broncos? I I do not. And and I think that's where it starts to get tricky. You can go through this list, and I'm, I'm looking at names. Most of the names that you see on here are Broncos. But another one I see on here, and I think you have to put him on and we had this discussion before, is a Clinton Portis, right? Clinton Portis played 2002 and 2003 for the Broncos and then was traded away to the Washington Redskins. He played very well for the Broncos while he was in Denver, and when he was traded, that brought Champ Bailey to the Broncos. I guess you put him on the list because of, on, because of that. List. And he had one of the greatest games in Broncos history as a running back against the Kansas City Chiefs, so that also is... is sort of part of the deal but it is interesting to go through this list and i think most of it is i agree with most of it i can't think of anybody other than those guys that i'm adamantly against um but it's just one of those things where it's just sort of we get to talk about it now right we get to we get to have the conversation is there anybody that you feel got left off that should have replaced somebody i mean there's there's always you know you could nitpick here and nitpick there but is there somebody who you would have said, ah, I wouldn't have put him on, I'd have put this guy on? It's always hard with lists because they're always so subjective. And this is 100 people. I mean, that's a yeah. lot. It is a lot. And to I mean, the, how I was thinking about it is, for the most part, Broncos, Broncos fans and everyone will agree on 75 of these. That leaves open about 25 spots. And I think the one name that that probably should have been on the list that wasn't was Dan Neal. Oh yeah, I didn't even notice that. How did I because miss that? I mean, I, I totally get, I totally get that Luis Vasquez is the only first team All Pro guard in the history of the Denver Broncos. I totally get that, but Dan Neal was more consistent for a longer period of time. Agree. And the, the, the two that and, and here's and, and here's where you could have gotten Dan Neal and the two that I think should have been on the list that weren't Rich Carlos and Mike Horan. Rich Carlos, Mike Horan, Dan Neal should have taken the spot of Mr. Raider, Mr. Buccaneer, Mr. Eagle. <laughs> I like I like how you did that. That was well done. I, I think you're right. I, I think that. Um... It's, it's hard to have 
players on this list that are so tied to a different team, but they still make the list. And and to me, that's one of those where you know you might say have somebody say, well, what about Neil Smith? Well, Neil Smith came from the Chiefs where he played you know for a long time and was was very good, but he came from the Chiefs and won two Super Bowls. And was a big part of the reason why they won two Super Bowls. He goes on the list. Uh, you could probably make a, this, a similar argument for Bill Romanowski, although he played a longer uh, period of time with the Broncos. But he played with other teams. But he's a Bronco. He won with the Broncos. Uh, I, I think that's really the key. I thought it was interesting. I was kind of looking at the list, and I was trying to figure out how many present players, right? How many te- how many players are on the team? And it's just four. There's only four players that currently play for the Broncos that are um, that that are in the top 100. You have Chris Harris Jr., who obviously, right? You have, hang on, I gotta go get get my list here. Uh, Von Miller, Manuel Sanders, Manuel Sanders, and then who's my fourth guy? Derek Wolf. There it is, Derek Wolf. I was getting, I was scrolling through. Well, I wasn't gonna commit it to memory. I don't have to do that. And. To me, I, I thought that was really interesting. You could really only come up with four guys from the the way that the Broncos are currently constituted that are top 100 players. That's you know that's saying something about the state of the team right now too. But if you look at the the amount of players who are on the Super Bowl 50 team, then you throw in Peyton Manning, Aki Talib, then you throw in Aki Talib, Demarius KJ Thomas, Ward, yep, Demarcus Ware. So the number does go up when you add players who were on the Super Bowl 50 team. That was four years ago. Let me ask you about DeMarcus Ware. We rant and rave about John Lynch. We rant and rave about, uh, you know, Brian Dawkins here. And we talk about guys that didn't play for very long that are still on the list. DeMarcus Ware, we don't, we don't rant and rave about. And I'm sure there are people who will, listening to this, go, well, why don't you say anything about DeMarcus Ware? And, and I think it's important that we address this just a little bit. Uh, DeMarcus Ware came in in 2014, helped lead the Denver Broncos to a Super Bowl victory, helped turn Von Miller into the player that he is today, right? I think that that's uh, an important statement to make and continues to be a part of the franchise, much like Peyton Manning does, if you think about it. So I, I anybody who says, well, this guy was only there for this long uh, and you didn't say anything about that. Well, DeMarcus Ware is one of those guys that he gets a he gets a pass for me, right? He gets a pass for me. Peyton Manning gets a pass for me, obviously. An interesting one that I see on here is a, a Brandon Marshall. Brandon Marshall, the wide receiver. Is he in your top 100? No. If you're going to put Brandon Marshall on the list, don't you need to put Jay Cutler? I would I would think that their careers were pretty intertwined. And so, yeah, I would say Jay Cutler should probably also be on this list if Brandon Marshall is on the list. In terms of DeMarcus Ware and John Lynch. DeMarcus Ware and John Lynch are not comparable for what they did to the Denver Broncos. Without DeMarcus Ware, the Broncos don't win Super Bowl 50. Without DeMarcus Ware, Von Miller isn't the Super Bowl 50 MVP. Because if you remember, prior to DeMarcus Ware signing with the Denver Broncos, Von Miller was coming off of a suspended shortened season And he had just torn his ACL. We were, all of Broncos country was wondering, what is going to happen to Von Miller? Is he ever going to be able to get it figured out? Is he a bust? In comes DeMarcus Ware, 
who leads and shows Von Miller to the spot that he is now, considered one of the best, not just in Broncos history, but on the course of being in the conversation with Lawrence Taylor and Derek Thomas. And also DeMarcus Ware in that AFC Championship game and in Super Bowl 50 was really, really, really good. He was a stud. He was absolutely a stud. He probably, uh, AFC Championship game MVP for me. I think he probably was. He was just incredible. And and like I said, he's still a part of Broncos country. You see him, um, you know, every once in a while you catch him talking about, you know, are you a cowboy or are you a Bronco? And he sort of hedges his bet and stays on both sides. But you can kind of tell his time in Denver meant a lot to him. And he has sort of moved moved in the direction of being a Bronco because that's where he won his championship. And I think that's where he had his most the most impact on the league was when he was in Denver. I, I might be biased. I don't know. You'd have to ask somebody else. I also think that since his retirement, and even if you include his retirement, Peyton Manning is a Denver Bronco. Yeah, he wakes, he makes way more appearances at the Broncos facility than he does in Indianapolis. He still lives in Denver, right? And his announcement, his retirement news conference, was with the Broncos. So I, 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 there's an interesting sort of way to look at this here, and I'm curious what your take is. In the eyes of Broncos country, I think Peyton Manning is a Bronco because he came to Denver and he helped to re-energize the franchise. He took sort of what had happened with Tim Tebow and turned that into uh, one of the greatest offenses in the history of the NFL and then continued on. They end up winning a Super Bowl, and that's, that's a big deal, right? You hold on to that pretty tightly. But in the eyes of, and maybe even in the eyes of Peyton Manning, he's a Bronco. That's certainly a possibility as well. I, I'm not in his head. I can't really speak to that. That's not, you know, I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a psychoanalyst or what, whatever it would need to be. But if you ask other people around the league, and I'm going to exclude Colts fans and, and people who are in the Colts media because I think they look at him and say he's a Colt before he's a Bronco, which, I, you know, you could make that argument, I'm sure. How do you think other people outside of those two franchises view Peyton Manning? Do they view him as a Colt or do they view him as a Bronco or do they view him as a mix? Honestly, I I don't know. I view him as a Bronco. Right. I just I, I I guess sort of my point is with that question and there's no way for us to answer it. Our idea of what he is and what he was in the NFL and where he had his his biggest impact is probably a lot different than people who are outside of being a Broncos fan. And and people who are in Indianapolis would disagree with us wholeheartedly about whether or not he was a Bronco or a Colt. And people in other parts of the country who are fans of other teams might have different opinions on it as well. So it's just kind of an interesting way that a guy like that can have that kind of an impact on two different franchises. And I think that's what makes a guy like Peyton Manning so unique is he not only did what he did with the Colts, he came back from a neck injury and did what he did with the Broncos. I, to me, that's, I mean, there isn't a lot that you can say about Peyton Manning at this point. I mean, he's just, what he did was unique and I, and it's to be applauded because he not only did it on the field, he did it off. 
So I, 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 whatever, however people view him, I'm grateful that I was able to watch him do it for the Broncos for four years. It sure was fun. That was a fun ride. I enjoyed it. Um, all right, where are we at now? What else we got to jump on? When I was on Orange and Blue 760 last Friday, they asked an interesting question, so I'm going to pose it to you now that we're about two weeks out from training camp. Okay, I'm ready. What is the most important thing that you want to happen over the course of training camp? Or what 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 do you want to see unfold over the course of, I don't know, the first week of practice or the practices leading up to the first preseason game against the Falcons in the Hall of Fame game? What is the most important thing to happen or you want to see? That's a good question. I like that. Um, I, I think heading into training camp, we're sort of as as a as a group of fans here. We are back to this looking at the quarterback, right? And it's, it's just until you have a quarterback, that's all you really are concerned with is the quarterback, and that's what the what's what the National Football League is. And so, I, you know, for me, unfortunately, really, that's kind of the way I look at it. Is unfortunately, I am continuing to look at Joe Flacco and his connection with the wide receivers and his his ability to grasp the offense, which. He seems to be comfortable with because of terminology and that uh, the chemistry that he builds with the rest of the offense, the offensive line, his receivers, his running backs, because without that, you're looking at a team that is going to be, again, 5-11, and 6-10, and 10, and you're probably going to be watching Drew Locke. I, and I, I would rather not watch Drew Locke play football for an entire season unless it's to go in and and do some mop-up work at the end of a game. So to me, that's maybe the most important thing. Now, the other side of that is on the other side of the football. I will also be very curious to see how guys like Von Miller and, uh, you know, Bradley Chubb and and Chris Harris and, 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 you know, those guys who have been in the, in the Broncos system for a while, how do they adjust to how Fangio wants to do things on defense? Fangio and Ed Donatel, have a defensive system. It appears to have more zone than what the Broncos have been doing the last few years. How do they adjust to that? Can they still be effective in a new defensive scheme? That's another big part of what training camp is going to be. And so I'm I want to see that translated into like the first preseason game, you know, for the first snap, maybe Von Miller gets a snap a sack and then he goes out and gets a snack. Maybe that's what happens. I don't know. But those are the two things I'm most interested in. For me, it's all about the offensive line. I want to see how the guys have taken to Mike Munchak specifically, and then Chris Cooper's coaching, namely a certain left tackle, but also all the four other guys. How have they, how have they been able to build a rapport together? How are they taking to the new system with, Scandrello, I'm guessing more of a zone blocking scheme like it like it has been in the past for for the Broncos. But I, how are they able to deal with the front the, the front seven of the Broncos? I mean, obviously you're not going to be able to tell much over the course of training camp because it's not really physical anymore. You only have very limited days in shells and then in full pads. But to me, that's going to be the key for the Broncos season is what happens with that offensive line. Because if Joe Flacco is able to stay healthy and he has time, he's shown what he can do, especially 
in an offense like the one he's going to be in with Rich Scangarello. So it, I want to see how the offensive line looks, the chemistry, how they work as a unit, how the offense is able to click, the timing, all that stuff is is tied to the offensive line. So if, if Joe Flacco is able to get his timing down with his running backs, receivers, and tight ends, it's all gonna feed it's all gonna feed itself as we head into the opener against the Raiders. All right, I like it. So I guess we are just a couple weeks away from training camp. We know what we're looking for, and we're gonna be talking about real football soon. You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always, go Broncos.